0: To Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, we've been walking through, uh, albeit a bit out of order. My fault, my bad. <clears throat> Started in the Sermon on the Mount last year. Spent some time in the first four chapters before Christmas. <clears throat> now we're looking at this, the King and His Kingdom, the way Jesus brings His Kingdom, and we ended last week looking at a couple of verses where Jesus says, "Come to me, and I'm going to give you rest." And then we see two stories that Matthew puts right after Jesus says, I'll give you rest. It's on the Sabbath. So let's read the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 12 together. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless." For the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. God, this is your word, and it is good. We need it. So would you please speak to our hearts this morning? We want to see beautiful things in the word. We want to receive the life that the word gives us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When was the last time that you were (laughs) well-rested? When was the last time for you with babies that you got a full night of sleep? Uh, maybe you don't have kids though. When was the last time you had a day without answering emails, without a long list of chores and errands, a million things to do? When was the last time that you were content with the amount of work you'd done? So you actually left it alone and stopped for a whole day. When was the last time that you were at rest from your worries and your fears and your anxieties your guilt and your shame? When was the last time that you were at rest in your relationships and didn't carry the burden of broken relationships? See, when we realize that rest is bigger than just our bodies stopping some sort of physical exertion, we realize that rest is actually deeper than that, we realize we might not be all that rested. We realize it takes a lot to actually find rest. And we're actually more like the ones Jesus described at the end of Matthew chapter 11 weary and burdened heavy laden with burdens on our back carrying these heavy things and Jesus shows us I think in this passage this morning that Jesus gives us rest through a relationship Jesus gives us rest through a relationship so this morning we're going to look at the ones who need rest and then we're going to look at the one who is rest the ones who need rest and the one who is rest. So the ones who need rest. Let's back up. I've referenced a couple times the end of Matthew chapter 11. Let's back up and remember what he says here. In Matthew 11:28, he says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Jesus in this context is saying Come and find rest. And his rest, we said last week, looks like a yoke. It looks like a way of life, a teaching about how to live in the world. So that's the context. And then all of a sudden we have Jesus here on the Sabbath. And we see hunger and we see healing. And we see the religious leaders not a fan of anything Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. You see the religious leaders... saw the Old Testament law to have a Sabbath, and they took it upon themselves to build out a complex set of rules to govern how Jewish people would practice Sabbath. It was very complex, it was very difficult, it was very tedious, and at times it seemed ridiculous. So you could travel so many thousands of feet, for instance, to get food on the Sabbath, but if you went a little bit further than that and needed food, then you'd be breaking the law of Sabbath. So you could carry certain kinds of loads on the Sabbath, but you couldn't carry other things. So you couldn't carry clothes, but you could wear clothes. So you could wear a jacket, but you couldn't carry that same jacket in your hands. They built this very complex set of rules to govern the Old Testament command for Sabbath, which that word just means stop, cease, rest, stop doing what you're doing. And so when they made this complex set of rules there actually became I think kind of a twofold problem one is that they weren't consistent with their own rules right they weren't consistent with their own rules Jesus points out in verse five have you not read in the law how on the sabbath the priests in the temple profane the sabbath and are guiltless Jesus is basically saying the sabbath does mean stop but we all admit that doesn't mean stop for everybody the priests still had work to do on the sabbath but they're not guilty what they did was okay that's what God said to do So there's an inconsistency within the rules, but then the other thing Jesus points out kind of subtly is that they're not in authority to add these things to God's word. They had built all of these extra biblical uh, rules and regulations to govern it, and they say your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, but actually the law in the Old Testament doesn't prohibit eating grain on the Sabbath. That was added to it. That was the way they had interpreted it and tried to apply it. I think in relation to that, we gotta look at that twofold problem, and we've got to first, watch out for people without authority who try to impose rules on us that are actually outside the bounds of God's instruction, and number two, we gotta realize that any attempt at a rule-oriented life are gonna to lead to inconsistencies because we don't have the power to perfectly obey. So, in this context, this is a very important, I'll step over here, aside from the message, very important tool when you study scripture is understanding comparisons. Oftentimes stories will be told back to back, sometimes in parallel or sometimes at the beginning and end of something. And what the writers of scripture and the spirit through the writers is trying to get us to do is compare. Okay. He's trying to get us to compare either two people, two ways of living, two views on something. And he wants us to make some comparisons. Very, this happens uh, very obviously in the books of first and second Samuel, which the guys have been reading, if you're in Bible study, with, with Saul and David. There's all sorts of comparisons made. And sometimes you'll see them be put in the same uh, situation, and you'll see very different responses. And you're meant to compare and contrast. Like, what's different about these? Which one are we supposed to say, no, not God's way? And yes, is God's way. And in this passage, we're seeing a comparison Jesus' yoke offered rest, the Pharisees' yoke was a heavy burden. So, Matthew 23, we'll look ahead at where Jesus is going. He, uh, this chapter is the woes to the scribes and Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, verse 4, he's warning his followers to be careful about the scribes and the Pharisees because, verse 4 says this, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So, there's a, a comparison here. Jesus is saying, hey, my yoke is, is light and easy, Come follow me. But the Pharisees are giving this way of life where, hey, you're hungry on Sabbath, too bad. Too bad, you're gonna have to stay hungry because the rule is to stop. And Jesus looks at hunger and says, is it bad to eat on the Sabbath? And so when we're looking at the ones who need rest, the ones who need rest are those who have a heavy yoke. The ones who need rest are those who are carrying a heavy burden. The comparison in this text is is there so that we'll think of the people who are trying to carry the heavy burdens of the Pharisees' way of life. So those who are trying to carry the heavy burden of of legalism, of a rule-oriented life. The ones who need rest are those who are weary and burdened from trying to live a life of self. This is a life that's full of of sin and our addiction to, to a godless way of living It's the legalism of the Pharisees. It's a life of self is a life of moral formation. That's always trying to be the good person rather than the bad person. It's the curated life that we've talked about. It's thinking that I can curate an identity in the way people perceive me. That I can edit my perception. That I can be a certain kind of person and I'm gonna do everything I can to present the good and hide the bad. It's a life of self and it's burdensome. Those who need rest are those who are trying to keep up with this life but seem to keep getting tossed around by it. In this text, it's the hungry or the sick man with the withered hand. It's the ones who are exhausted, the suffering, the bruised and broken. Those are the ones who need rest. It's us, right? We look quickly at the ones who need rest, but let's move on and look at the one who is rest because this is where I'd like to spend most of our time this morning. The one who is rest. Jesus says in verse eight, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? You know, the word, it does mean cease or stop or rest, but what was it? It was this day, one in seven, where God had instructed his people to stop Now there are some writers and theologians and commentators who who say, you know what? It seems like there was already a practice of Sabbath before the Ten Commandments. Because he's telling them in some ways to remember it. And it seemed like there was this pattern of his people already stopping one in seven. Part of that's because it was grounded in creation. God created on the seventh day, he rested. And it doesn't say the seventh day ever ends. And so the intention there is for the, the writer of Genesis is saying, we were created to live into this Sabbath rest of God that we weren't meant to strive and sweat and have blood and tears be the means of our work and provision. We were meant to enter into God's rest where he perfectly provides for us. So Sabbath was this day, one in seven, that was set apart for God's people to rest and to worship. Now, Tim Mackey with the Bible Project has a, what I think is a great explanation of it. Tim Mackey says that the temple is to space what the Sabbath is to time. Time. The temple is to space what the Sabbath is for time. So the temple is a sacred space set apart for God's presence and glory. The Sabbath is the sacred time set apart for God's presence and glory. And they are both ways that God's eternal reality is breaking into our world. Jesus is the culmination of the temple. He is the one something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the Culmination of the temple because he is the thing that the temple was pointing to all along. The presence of God among us. Jesus is also the culmination of the Sabbath because he is what the Sabbath pointed to. The perfect and eternal rest of God. That's not one in seven, but is for all time. The rest of God offered to God's people. So how does Jesus bring us Sabbath rest? not just a day. But the principle of rest in God forever. How does Jesus bring us rest? The the first way Jesus brings us rest is by his authority. It's by his authority. Notice in this section, he is challenging the authority of the Pharisees to impose these rules and regulations. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter seven, verses 28 and 29, says this little bit about how people responded to Jesus' teaching. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus taught with authority. Fast forward to the end of the gospel in Matthew 28. We see that Jesus makes this declaration as he's giving the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We've seen stories of Jesus showing his authority over the natural, over the supernatural, over the spiritual as he forgives sins. The Pharisees used their authority to impose more rules on people. Jesus uses his authority to invite people into relationship. Jesus uses his authority to actually take burdens off of people, but the Pharisees use their authority to put burdens on people. You see, we have to be careful who we're listening to. We could be weary and burdened and heavy laden because we're listening to people who don't have the authority to put those burdens on us. This is one of the first questions God asks in the garden in Genesis chapter three. He says, where are you? As Adam and Eve are hiding. Where are you? And then he says, you know, we're we're hiding. We're naked, we're ashamed. And he says this, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Who are you, He's, he, he looked at the minimum, he said, who are you listening to? Dear brothers and sisters, who are you listening to this morning? Who told you that you needed to do all that you're doing? Who's in charge of you? Sometimes we'll tell our kids. They'll try to help. Sometimes they're right. They'll, they'll bring the right rule to their siblings. But we'll have to stop them and say, you gotta let me be Dad. Let her be mom. You just be brother. You just be sister. Let me be dad. Listen, this morning, let God be God. Stop listening to other voices that don't match up with the authority of God's instruction for you. Who is it that you're listening to? Who told you that your life needed to be as cleaned up as you're trying to make it? Who told you that your Bible reading had to look like that every day? Who told you that your prayer life had to look like the way you're expecting it to look every day? Where did you get these expectations? Where did you get these burdens? To live in the way that you're expecting to live. Have you compared what you were told or what you're expecting with what God's word actually says? Because 1 John 5 says the commands of Jesus are not burdensome. So if you're being told about a way of living that looks more like rules than like relationship, then that's more burden than being. That's not from Jesus. Jesus has come to give us rest with his authority. He's the one we can listen to. And that means we've got to stop and ask ourselves, who told you? Challenge the assumptions you're making about what it means to walk with God. So how many of you know that when you're getting healthy, there's two things you gotta do? You gotta take out the bad and add something good, right? And that's true of whether you're talking about uh, something as small as losing weight or something as large as fighting cancer. You've gotta take out the bad and add the good. So we're gonna look at those two aspects of the last two ways Jesus gives us rest. The first is he takes our burdens. He takes our burdens himself. In this passage, it's pretty straightforward. The disciples are burdened with hunger. The man is burdened with with her hand. And he takes both of those things away. In our kids' classes with our new curriculum, we're teaching them to ask uh, what's called I wonder questions. And so if you have kids back there, they might be doing that right now. They'll kind of read and do a Bible story with figures. It's very interactive. And then at the end, they have this time. They just say, okay, let's ask some I wonder questions. I wonder questions are intentionally unanswerable. You just look at the text and you go, I wonder. So in this passage, here's some I wonder questions I thought of. I wonder if Jesus had not been with them, if they would have still eaten the heads of grain that they were plucking because they were hungry. I wonder if they would have done it anyways, and Jesus just happened to be with them. Or I wonder if they would have been a little more scared of the authority of the Pharisees, and they would have been a little more careful to follow the rules because they wouldn't have wanted to get in trouble. I wonder. I don't know. I don't think we can know. I wonder if they wouldn't have eaten them if they would have just gotten hungrier and hungrier and their burden would have just kept increasing. I wonder if their burden of hunger would have kept increasing that the Sabbath would have actually felt like just a burdensome day to them because of how hungry they were. But Jesus is with them and he tells them to eat. He protects them from being condemned in verse 7. He says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus takes their burden, not just of hunger, but of being guilty on the Sabbath. And he takes that burden away. So do you carry a burden of guilt and shame this morning? Do you carry a burden of guilt that says I've done something wrong? Do you carry a burden of shame that says I am defective and unlovable and irreparable? Shame might be more of a feeling, but the truth is guilt can be a fact. The good news, Jesus takes your burden of guilt to the cross so that you can receive his innocence, his purity, his righteousness. Jesus takes your burden. He gives us rest because he accomplishes what we can never accomplish. He finishes what we can never finish. In fact, that is his last word on the cross in John 19, 30. It is finished. What's finished? All of it all of your burden. Jesus takes your burden, and that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel is not saying do. It's saying done, and look, that makes it really hard for us who like the message of do. Here's what to do. Here's the practical application. We want to know how does this apply to my life? What should I go out there and do? And I'm not a great application preacher. I did not do well in preaching class. Johnny, where's the application? The application is, isn't Jesus cool? Look at him. Behold, like, no, we need verbs as your manuscript in your sermon. We need verbs there. What do people do? Behold the Lord. That's all I got. I think that's actually the heart of the gospel. There are some implications for what we should do. And Jesus invites us into that. But the very heart of the gospel is that it's already done. All of it is done. Jesus has been perfect in our place. He obeyed in our place. He died in our place. He was resurrected in our place so that we could have all that. That is what it means to be united to Jesus. So if you carry the burden of guilt and shame, good news. Jesus has carried and taken away your burden Do you carry the burden of being caught in this cycle of analyzing yourself over and over? um, Analyzing why you fail, analyzing why you've done what you've done? Hey, this morning, take your eyes off of yourself and look at Christ. Ask how he sees you. He is perfect, and he is perfect in his love towards you. He sees you, and he loves you, and he's well aware of the price that he's paid for your redemption there's no dark corner of your heart that catches him off guard. He's not waiting for you to understand all the depth of your sin, for him to forgive all the depth of your sin. I think that's really, really important because some of us think, if I don't confess it all, if I don't remember it all, if I don't know it all, if I can't plumb the depths of my sin, I've got to keep drudging this back up to give it to Jesus and I know I'm worse than even I realize and I don't know what to do with all that. There's all these places. Jesus sees all of that there is no part of your heart. There's no thought in your mind. Every sin you have forgotten, He has already forgiven. So, so stop trying to drudge up all the things. I've had a conversation with a guy within the last year who's not a part of our church. And he said, I'm just trying to remember every wrong thing I've ever done in my whole life. And he was like 70 years old. Every wrong thing I've done so that I can just give it to the Lord. I said, I don't think he wants you to do that. I think he wants you to take your eyes off of yourself and look up at him. Stop carrying the burden of trying to figure out why you're so broken and all the bad things you've done and look instead to Christ. So, are you carrying that burden this morning? Are you carrying the burden of the expectations of who you think you should be? I want to be this kind of person. I ought to be at a different place by this stage in my life. I ought to have things a little more put together. I ought to have bought a house by now. I ought to have a kid by now. I ought to have a better job by now. I ought to have more in retirement by now. My grown kids ought to have more together than they do right now. I ought to have done more by now in my life. All these expectations of who you think you should be is a burden that you're not meant to carry. But the good news is Christ takes that away. Give that burden of who you think you should be to Jesus. And we said, take something away and put something in. So he takes our burden, but what he puts in, this is the third way, the last way that he gives us rest. He gives us the only thing that can satisfy us forever. And that's God himself. Augustine, who lived in the third and fourth centuries, long time ago, 1600 years ago, said, very famously, we were created for you, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Restless. Because we're jumping from thing to thing, hoping, is this, is this going to be the thing that gives me rest? Is this going to be the thing that defines me finally and fully and forever? And then when it lets us down, when it When we plumb the depths of it because it's finite and we realize there's nothing else there for me, we move on to the next thing. And maybe if I am good at this, this will give me rest. Maybe if I'm known as this kind of person, if I'm a great musician, if I do great in school, if I go to this college instead of that one, if I get this job, if I can keep any job for any amount of time, if I'm known as this, oh, goodness, maybe it will give me rest. And Augustine diagnosed it 1,600 years ago for you. Your heart will be restless until you find rest in the one you were created for. You will jump from thing to thing and realize it does not satisfy you. But Jesus takes our burden and he gives us rest because he brings us the only thing that can satisfy us, and that's God himself. Jesus has come so that we can have a personal relationship with God. He himself is God, and by his life and death and resurrection and ascension back to God's presence, he brings us back to God. He removes the barrier that kept us from God by forgiving our sin, paying the price of our redemption. And the light yoke that Jesus talks about that he puts on us when we come to him is not a set of rules to which we must conform, but it's a relationship that we're invited into. You say, where are you getting that from this text? He quotes, uh, he quotes Hosea chapter six, verse six. He says, uh, let me see if I can find it. Verse seven, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hey, if you understood that from Hosea chapter six, then you'd understand everything. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm not sure I understand it. If you would have understood what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, he was quoting Hosea chapter six, verse six. And actually, if you turn to that, it will probably say, my ESV translation says this, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But in Matthew, he says mercy. Why is it mercy or steadfast love? Well, the the word in the Old Testament for steadfast love is the same word from Exodus 34. That's actually the most quoted and repeated text in your whole Bible. Exodus 34, Moses says, show me your glory and it says in Exodus 34, verse six, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Most repeated section of your whole Bible is that verse. Steadfast love and faithfulness are shorthand for covenant loyalty. When God made a covenant with someone, he's committing himself to those people. So what he's saying in Hosea 6:6 is, God is saying, I desire relational loyalty. He's saying, what I'm really after is a relationship with you. I'm not after the number of sacrifices. Another good Bible study tool, when you're reading the Old Testament, a lot of their poetry is just parallelism. So it'll be two lines, and the ideas are meant to kind of help fill in the gap for what it means. So when he says, in Hosea 6, 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Steadfast love and knowledge of God are meant to parallel each other. They're meant to fill in the gaps on what that means. So what is he saying, steadfast love? It means you know God. I desire that you have an intimate relationship where you know God and love God. And God himself is saying, I desire that more than I desire the number of sacrifices you bring, and burnt offerings you make. I want you to be with me more than I want you to do things for me. And it's Jesus that brings us this relationship. He does not primarily, now he will, but he does not primarily give us practices on how to live or advice on what to do in certain situations. He's not primarily out to give us a social agenda or even show us how to love others. Now, he has all of those things. He's a great teacher. He gives instruction. He shows us the way to life. He teaches us how to treat and how to love others. But that's not primarily what he does because all of that is useless if he does not do the primary thing, which is to bring us back to God. God wants us to find rest in him because only God has the eternal capacity to satisfy our deep longings. Why is this? Because we're made in his image. So what does it look like to live in this kind of relationship? (laughs) Looks like loving and being loved. That's what a relationship is, right? It's allowing yourself to be loved by another and loving that person in return. It's presenting yourself to someone saying, I'm here, and I'm present with you. And it kind of begs the question, like, are you gonna love me back? It's vulnerable to begin a relationship of love. Because I heard this week, when you open up your heart to someone, it's scary because you're loading their gun to fire back at you. But a relationship of love and safety and trust is one in which you can open your heart And load their gun and understand they're never going to use that. Because they love you anyways. They'd never want to take your vulnerabilities and hurt you. They love you. And then what actually happens is when you experience God's love and you realize he's not going to pull that gun out and fire it at you with your vulnerabilities and your failures and your sin, but he actually covers those things and continues to love you, it actually frees you to love Him in response. So we're presenting our whole self to Him, experiencing His love, and then as a response, we're loving Him more and more. So we've kind of taken a, a wild route through these first four, first fourteen verses of Matthew 12, because He talks about Sabbath. So we could have spent a lot of time just about Sabbath, and then how do we practice Sabbath as a spiritual discipline? But as I kept looking at the text this week, I kept realizing the point of the text is not what we ought to do for Sabbath. That's actually the Pharisees' point. The point of this text is that Jesus is our rest. So Jesus brings us rest through a relationship because he takes our burdens and he gives us the one thing that can satisfy us forever. So what I'd like to do now is to, <clears throat> um, to pray in response to this. Scripture and prayer are like breathing. We breathe in the word and we breathe out prayer back to God. So I'm going to lead us in a time of responding to the word this morning in prayer. So if you would, pray with me and I'm going to ask you some questions to lead you to a time of prayer as well. Um. As you hear God's word this morning, what's coming up in your heart? Are you convicted, excited, energized by this truth? Are you maybe numb or cold or unresponsive? I'd like to invite you to take a minute and give that to God, whatever it might be. as we talked about the reason we need rest, what did you identify with? What burdens are you carrying? I wonder this morning if some of you are hearing the invitation from Jesus where he says come to me, and if you're hearing the invitation from God to begin a brand new relationship with him through Jesus. The truth is in Christ he will take all of your burdens. In Christ, Romans eight tells us that you are no longer condemned. And in Christ, 2 Corinthians five says you are a new creation this morning if Christ is saying to your heart for the very first time if he says come please come to him in prayer right now tell him that you are in deep need of him tell him you want him to save you and give you this rest and you'd like to begin a relationship Christ, I pray for this people this morning and and I ask for your Holy Spirit to do a wonderful work in our hearts as you help us respond to the word we've heard. Help us to have faith to believe this. Help us to experience the rest that you've promised us. Help us not to be more focused on rules and regulations than we are the relationship we have with you. Jesus, free us. Free us from all the things that burden us. Take those things. Help us to be okay with giving them to you. Give us the grace and safety to be honest with you about the things we struggle with and trust that you're going to take them. Help us to experience your forgiveness and help us to walk every day in a personal relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.